Hello, and welcome to episode four of season two of Simply Mr. Hayes, the podcast. Here we share ideas, experiences, and resources to help other educators. I'm your host, Eric Hayes. In this episode, I interview Vridi Seraf, founder and CEO of K20 Educators. Listen in as we talk about dismantling global silos in education. So I'm very excited to announce my next guest, Vridi. And instead of me singing your praises, please tell everyone about a little bit about yourself. Sure. Hi, I'm Vridi Saraf, uh, founder and CEO of K20 Educators. Uh, we're a social network for global educators. Uh, so I um, started uh, my sort of school journey not having a lot of direction in school. Um, I didn't, uh, I wasn't motivated and I didn't think uh, anything of learning. And I think that's really what created such an impact on me when I was teaching because it sort of reversed the understanding of what education could do for me. And so um, I actually uh, went into education um, early on, uh, right after college through Teach for America. And the only reason I did Teach for America, Eric, was because I had no idea what else I should be doing. And so it was a program that was prestigious. And I was like, hey, if I get into this, then maybe I'll have some direction in my life. And so I, I went for it and miraculously got in. And um, I honestly had uh, quit everything before that. That was hard for me. And uh, Teach for America was the first thing that actually taught me how to um, you know, be resilient and to understand the power of education. And I say that and I start with that because that's really what's led me to what I'm doing today. Um, so I work with uh, educators and I've been working with educators for the past uh, 10 years. Uh, before that, I was a teacher with Teach America. And what I've found is that as an adult for my own journey, I've learned so much more than I feel like I did as a child. And I've grown so much more than I did as a child. And so that's what I sort of want to bring to other adults and other educators, which is like that constant growth that they can experience, even though they're not sort of in that like, you know, completely malleable um, stage of their life. So that's just sort of like, you know, the beginning of the journey. Well, that sounds like quite the beginning. And I've met some incredible uh, educators that came out of Teach for America, very driven. And I also met some that were like, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, this seemed like a good idea. And they were, they were just great teachers. I enjoyed working with them. So they produced some really, really awesome people. Um, so you had done some traveling, if I'm not mistaken. And how long has it been where you've been going around? And can you talk a little bit more about this experience? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so for the last, so I've been, I've been an educator of, uh, for, for 12 years and um, for a while uh, I was a teacher and then I was a dean and then um, I helped start uh, and uh, support deans across 12 uh, schools, charter schools in Brooklyn. And um, what I had learned was that uh, in order to develop uh, school leaders and uh, teachers in one school or in a network of schools, um, there has to be like some really strong infrastructure for how uh, people develop. It can't just be sort of like one-on-one -on -one coaching. It has to be um, sort of systemic the way that Gusky talks about it. Um, and so I uh, had this really great opportunity about three and a half years ago to join a startup that was building schools from ground up around the world. 
And the, the vision was to build 30 schools around the world um, that would operate in sort of like a system school model where uh, students and educators would be able to travel to the different school campuses and learn from each other and, and take classes in, in each of those campuses. And um, the schools were meant to uh, be progressive, project-based learning, you know, experiential learning, like kind of the dream of an educator. And so I joined that um, three and a half years ago, and um, I joined as their uh, global director of professional development. Um, so basically creating the infrastructure for how uh, teachers and school leaders there would be developed. And I got to work with um, the, the emerging principles that we were, uh, we were building uh, schools with. And one of the coolest thing that I, got, that I got to do in those three and a half years was I got to travel to different countries just to learn from different school leaders outside of our own school model and teachers around the world, right? So I got to go to, to Bali, to the Green School. I got to go to a bunch of schools in India and in China and in, in Italy and in, in the UK. And um, the most incredible thing about that experience was there were all these amazing pockets of talent. Right, There were educators that were doing incredible things and completely sort of individually from their own perspective and um, producing pedagogy and instruction and content that was like, that was promoting critical thinking skills. It was promoting um, uh, self-directed learning. It was promoting agency and sort of, uh, you know, real resilience in students. And the crazy thing was every time I went to a new campus or a new uh, school and um, I saw something that was similar to what I had seen in a previous school, I'd say, hey, you know that the, the folks in Bali are doing exactly what you guys are? You guys, do you know about them? And, and they'd always say, no, I have no idea. Who are they? <laughs> right. And so it was it was really surprising that like all of these like wonderful pockets of talent all around the world were working in silos producing very similar things, but they had zero connection with the other educators that were doing the same things. And so what I realized was, you know, educators were were working just completely on their own in, in complete silos. Um, so so that traveling experience is was really sort of formative for uh, why K20 exists now. Um, and I actually did a lot of research uh, after that, trying to figure out like why, how do educators collaborate with each other and connect with each other? And I found that there were three main ways that educators can collaborate and connect. One was um, through uh, professional development organizations. So like the NCTMs, the, the math organizations, the public and private organizations, things like that. Um, those are fantastic and they're doing amazing work. What they do though, is they silo affinity groups, right? So the, the STEM teachers are sort of siloed in their own group and the math teachers are siloed and the, the arts teachers are siloed and the private school teachers are siloed in the public, you know? And so there's all of these sort of like sections of, of school, of, of um, teachers that are working in these different groups. And then the second way educators collaborate is through um, conferences. And so uh, the great thing about conferences is it brings people together from different regions and countries, but the not so great thing is that they're not always affordable. And so there are many educators that don't have access to con conferences, right? And then um, the third thing, uh, third way that educators collaborate is through Facebook. And so I don't know if you're on Facebook, but there's hundreds, actually thousands of educator groups on there with at least anywhere between 10 to 500,000 in each group, right? 
So the cool thing about that is a teacher will say, hey, I have a pain point. I'm going to start a Facebook group to try to solve that pain point. And then hundreds of other educators are like, whoa, I have that same pain point, and they'll join that group. But the problem with Facebook is that it's becoming an increasingly toxic environment, and there are a lot of ads, and there is a lot of controversy around it. So it's not protected. And the groups that they create, it's a very sort of linear way to engage with each other. There isn't a lot of dynamicism in what you can actually do to engage with um, other educators. And so that's really how K-20 also started. And that's where the City of Learning also got, got it started. And so I'm glad that you brought the last point about the City of Learning in K-20 and Facebook, because that is how I found out about K-20. Uh, I myself don't really like Facebook too much. I see a lot of, of, of toxicity and other things. Um, so I had stayed away, but I've been encouraged to look at certain educational groups. So I followed different educational groups and I saw an advertisement to come to this gamified virtual conference. And as many of our listeners and many people right now, pretty much all of our PD, our learning experiences right now are online. So we're, we're getting used to this online model, remote. So the idea of doing something virtual, not super appealing, but when you said gamified, I thought, okay, this is something I've heard advertised. Is it truly gonna be gamified? And many of us have found out that it was. And so can you tell us a little about that city of learning experience and, and, and why you did it for, for K-20? What was the purpose behind it? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so the City of Learning, um, for just your listeners, um, it's, a, it's a venue that we created on an avatar-based platform. And uh, the way that that emerged is uh, I was at a, 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 an online conference um, back in uh, November or October. And um, it was, this conference uh, was sort of touted as one of the sort of most cutting edge ed tech conferences out there that had just, you know, had to take its uh, programming online because of the pandemic. And it was two weeks of floating heads talking at you. It was two weeks of webinars back to back pre-recorded. And I thought to myself, I said, with all of the money that's available to this organization and all of the influence that it has, how is it possible that they haven't thought of a better model to engage people online? And so I um, was convinced that there was a better way and I was convinced there was better technology out there. And so I started doing a lot of research and started thinking about what do people really want in conferences? How do we create a human-centered experience? Because from my perspective, six hours of, of someone talking at you is not human-centered, right? And so I thought about the, um, the elements of human-centered conferencing. And um, some of those elements, some of the things that came to mind was um, one, uh, people want agency when they go to conferences, right? They want to be able to choose what they want to do. And so if you're on a webinar and you're being talked at, there's no choice in what you're able to listen to or do there, right? Even if you're in a Zoom live meeting, you're not able to choose your breakout group, right? You have to actually um, get you know, uh, you have to get put into those breakout groups and you can't really like move around that much. I think now they actually changed up where you can move around. Um, but there isn't a lot of agency in, in the types of activities that you can do. So that was the first thing that we wanted to tackle. How do you create agency um, in a virtual experience? The second thing um, that we wanted to tackle was uh, having uh, content that was relevant and practical. And so, um, you know, a lot of sort of talks um, where, you know, somebody's talking at you for 60 to 90 minutes, 
um, there could be some practical pieces in there, but if you're not actually like doing something with your hands, or if you're not actually like trying to change your own practice, then usually what happens is I'll be making lunch at the same time, listening to this webinar and some of it I'll resonate with, most of it I won't, and I'll just sort of move on with my life, right? It's not really something that you can implement in the classroom. So, so the other thing that we wanted to do was practicality. And then there's like a bunch of other things that um, we, we uh, came up with. I actually wrote a Medium article about it um, that sort of shows the entire um, sort of human-centered cycle that we thought about. But some of those things include, um, we wanted folks to have fun. We wanted there to be spontaneous uh, sort of engagement. So we wanted people to actually bump into each other and meet each other the way that they do in conferences and be able to create really great social connections. Because that is, as I said before, one of the main ways that educators connect. Um, but you can't do that if you're in a webinar for, for two weeks. Um, there has to be uh, some way that educators can um, access large groups and small groups. So the, the beauty of conferences is that you get this like amazing energy from all the people that are there, right? You feel like you're part of something bigger, but you can also do like these small workshops that you can like hop into a 20 person workshop or a 50 person workshop and feel like you're connecting on a more deep level. So those are all the things that we considered. And so we created this model. And the thing that occurred to me was like gamification. Um, I, I didn't so much care that it was sort of like the hot thing. I cared more that it actually like aligned to all the human centered principles. And so I started looking at games like Minecraft and Fortnite and started thinking about like, why are these games so highly sought out? And it's because of all the things that I just named are true there, right? If you really think about these games, like they allow for agency, they allow for, um, you know, a large group uh, sort of inspiration, but also small group connections. They allow for you to like meet and connect with other people. They allow you to sort of have um, these like relevant uh, practical experiences. Like it, it's all there. And so I thought, well, why not use that for conferencing? Why not actually like create a Minecraft for conferencing? And so that's when I actually discovered Gather.Town, um, which is, uh, an avatar-based platform, and there are so many other ones out there, but the one that I, the reason I like this is because it allows you to actually um, create your own environment. And so I got a team together, bootstrapped the whole thing, and we created uh, this uh, thing called the City of Learning that had uh, six classrooms, a bar, a cafe, um, a reflection area, a playground, a marketplace for vendors, and then a bunch of secret rooms, as well as uh, a reinvention center that was um, sponsored by Teach for America. And um, we created programming that was uh, exactly what I said before. It was practical. It was relevant. Um, we created some talks that were um, what, one of the things that I was like really steadfast on was I did not want talks that were like 60 to 90 minute long. So we created 20 minute talks with um, 20 minute Q&A so that uh, folks could uh, get their sort of you know, expertise in there, but then people could actually ask the experts questions. And we got incredible speakers. Um, so we had Tony Wagner, um, he was fantastic. And uh, people really appreciated having 30 minutes to talk to him and actually like, you know, be on stage with him, which was incredible. Um, we had um, the folks from the Reinvention Lab. We had uh, Morty Ballin, who is the founder of um, Explore Charter Schools. And um, we had Ash from, you know, Start Ed, but we had so many incredible speakers. And, and I think the, the reason they came to us was because um, they were really attracted to the gamification vision. 
And, you know, as you know, Eric, like we, you know, it was an experiment. We didn't know what would come of it. And it was, um, it was sort of touted as like one of the best virtual experiences that people have been through. And people are still talking about it. People still send me LinkedIn, uh, you know, messages and tweets about how it sort of changed the way that they thought about virtual engagement and they had never experienced anything like it. So, you know, one of the things that I find very interesting in conferences and we readily admit this, um, if you have more of a, an open or honest host or group that will say, oh, I know this is not what we normally do as students and I wish there was more movement or I wish we would do this, but I'm going to talk to you and we don't try other things. So we know learning works for students in this way, agency, but why is it that we don't bring it to us as the adults, that innovative, that exciting project base, let's talk, let's collaborate. That's exactly right. I'm so glad that you said that because uh, when we are teaching students, it's almost like we're putting different expectations for adults, thinking that adults can learn in a different way and they don't need the type of engagement that students need. And that's bullshit, right? Because it's not human-centered, as we said before. And so to, to say to um, the example that I was saying before, to say to a student, hey, students really need project-based learning and critical thinking skills, but the way that we're going to teach it to speakers is, is through a lecture, is, is, it doesn't make any sense. There's no, par there's no parallel structure. There's no sort of... Um, you know, uh, there's no parity in that, right? And so that's why the, the concept of choose your own venture is so important. And that's a testimony to the vision that you had and the work. And so that, that leads me to this next question. What is your vision for K-20? Yeah, so um, the, the hope is, the, the mission and the hope is to dismantle global silos around the world for educators, right? That's really where um, the, the initial like generation point comes from in terms of why K-20 exists. And in order to make that happen, what we love to do is we're right now creating uh, this social network. And the social network is one piece of it. It allows educators to connect to each other organically and be able to um, empower each other and have the sort of type of empowerment that I think Facebook groups does where educators can create their own without being like big brothered. So we have that. We want people to actually own the social network, but it's also protected, right? It's not, it's ad-free. It's, um, you know, uh, fake news free. It's, um, there's a lot of uh, sort of things in there that allow um, educators to have it as their own sort of protected space. Um, so we want the social network to be the largest social network in the world um, for educators. We want the 125 million plus educators to be on there and to be on there for free. It's never going to cost anything to an educator who's school-based to ever join. So that's a very strong like principle that like I'm never going to stray from. We want to be free for educators. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is um, we really want to engage educators beyond the social network, right? We want educators to, um, to come together um, in a human-centered way, which is why we're doing more events like the City of Learning so that um, people can bump into each other and create connections and then bring those connections back to the social network and continue that conversation. Um, but also to inspire one another and share really fantastic strategies. Because what I believe is, you know, education and, as an industry is really unique 
and in that every single person in this industry has the exact same goal right which is how do we cultivate students and the future of the the coming generation right that's the only reason teachers teach right teachers don't teach for the money they don't teach for the glory they don't teach for the work right they teach because they truly believe in the power of empowering youth right and that's very different than any other industry there are a lot of other motivations for every other industry this is the only industry that's like that and so if that's what every one of us across the world are striving for why don't we all share our resources and connect with each other and mentor each other and empower each other, right? And I think the one reason is because we don't have access to each other and we don't have access to knowledge sharing. And so that's really what we're trying to do. We want every educator to have access to each other. We want them to um, engage with each other in an active way. And uh, we want them to feel empowered and empower each other. That's incredible. And I, and I think what's also interesting is you, you really want to reach out and help parents too. I believe that you're hosting a conference pretty soon for parents. Am I mistaken there? Yeah, no, that, that's right. So um, we're doing a, a conference for parents in April, on April 10th and 11th. And so the reason for that is um, I think during the pandemic, parents have been put in a really difficult situation in that they have had to um, put a lot more sort of uh, work in managing their family at home because their kids have been home and their partners have been home and things like that. And so it's really difficult to be a parent where you have to manage your job and your child's education and your partner's sort of like relationship and your social life and so much more and your household. And so what we found was um, that parents could really benefit from the resources that educators have access to. And so, um, because we have access to those to those resources, because we know educators um, are, you know, kicking butt right now in, um, you know, doing everything that they can to optimize the experience for students. We thought, why not share those things with parents when they're in need? Um, we also know that um, sometimes there isn't um, there isn't a huge amount of empathy between industries because it's hard to be empathetic when you're not, you know, of a person of that industry. And so I think sometimes um, parents don't always understand how difficult teaching is, right? And how difficult it is. I mean, Eric, you were telling me earlier, like the better you are at your job, the more responsibility you're given and the more students you're given, which is fine. But on the other hand, like how do you humanly have you know, time to be able to do all that? And so I think it's important for parents to understand that. And I think they've started to understand that because of the pandemic, but we wanna bridge that empathy gap even more by having conferences like this and basically connecting educators and parents together. Um, and we also want to iterate on our um, model for conferencing, for human-centered conferencing. And so we did the, parent, the, the city of learning for educators, we're doing the city of learning for parents and we're redesigning the city of learning so that it's an even better experience. And then we'll have another one for educators and another one for parents during this year so that there is this sort of like iterative cycle. One of the, one of the greatest things that one of our advisors um, has told me, who's uh, one of the former CEOs of uh, Teachers Pay Teachers, he said, uh, Vridi, this year, this first year of your EdTech startup, you should never think of anything that you do as a success or a failure or a program that's going to live forever or a framework that is going to be, um, you know, sort of rigid. You should think of everything that you do as an experiment you're collecting data on, right? 
and um, an experiment that's well-informed and well-researched, but something that you're collecting data on so that you can continue to iterate and focus on your um, users instead of focusing on success of the company, right? So the thing that I'm constantly focusing on is like, how do I create the best experience for the people that are trusting me um, to join the social network, the educators, the parents of the educator, all that kind of stuff? Um, and how do I create an even better experience every minute that they engage with us? And so that's how I'm sort of like, you know, iterating and iterating and iterating um, every day. And we can see that those of us who have, um, I'm very fortunate in that after the City of Learning, uh, I, I joined the platform and it's been nice to see more people also join other educators and other educators in other countries, because maybe you are used to your own model and you don't think about the challenges or the successes that other people are having in other countries. And then you see these people who are writing and sharing and you realize how much we have in common, how much we can learn from each other. So these conversations that we started at the City of Learning, you've been able to keep going. There's been enthusiasm that you're and momentum that you've continued to, to build and it's growing. Whereas, I don't know if you found this, sometimes we go to different conferences or different events and we feel very motivated and maybe motivated for the next week, but there's not that encouragement to keep that conversation going. And so it kind of dies out. That's such a good point to make. And I think that's a huge detriment, I think, to educators because they have you know, this incredible community that they have access to and then they no longer have access to it, right? And so that's exactly the type of problems that we're trying to solve. We're also, um, you know, doing a lot on Clubhouse because Clubhouse is this like giant bubble right now, um, which is really fantastic because it's allowing a lot of people around the world to, to collaborate. And um, from the sort of activity that we've been able to, um, to facilitate the sort of talks and, and the, the momentum, like you said, that we've had, we now have the largest education club on Clubhouse with 30K members. Um, and so every week we're able to engage 400 people per week just on the sort of content that is coming out of the city of learning, is coming out of the K-20. And, and that sort of synergy is, is a really beautiful thing because educators are sort of finding a lot of, um, a lot of gems from a lot of different places because we, they have access to the K-20, they have access to the city of learning, they have access to Clubhouse. I wanna thank you, um, first of all, for allow me to interview you. Um, I know you have a very busy schedule. I also want to thank you for the incredible program you put uh, put forth and doing the City of Learning. And so how can people access um, this information, find you? What are the best ways to, to see the work that you're doing? Yeah, thank you for having me. Really appreciate that. Um, so you can go to k20educators.com uh, to sign up for the K20 network and any events that we have in the city of learning. If you're a parent, you can go to k20parents.com um, for the parent conference. And uh, if you're on Clubhouse, you can join the Education Innovation Club. Um, and yeah, otherwise you can always uh, just ping me where um, people at k20educators.com um, and I'm pretty responsive uh, on Twitter as well. Well, thank you very much. And some of those links I will definitely have in the description. Really appreciate you um, uh, sharing your time and your vision. Thank you, Eric. You're, um, first of all, this, this is a really cool thing that you're doing for uh, educators around the world. Um, and you're a really fantastic host. So thank you for that. Oh, I appreciate that. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to our show. We know there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there 
and yet you chose us. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast and stay tuned to our next episode.